Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week, Pastor Murphy introduced us to a new study on the disciplines of the believer's life. Today, we'll see the main areas where discipline is lacking. I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of Timothy. I'll be reading several verses from Timothy. And um, we'll come to our text in chapter 4. But let me read several extracts from this book so you have a, a general understanding of the tenor of the book and the contents of the book and the, the nuance of the book and also the atmosphere of the book. Uh, let's begin from reading verse number 1, First Timothy chapter 1. We read a few verses in every chapter, not many, but I want you to get the gist of what this book is all about. Verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, O Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. And then if you look at chapter 2, just a few verses there, the first few verses, he said, Exhort therefore... That first of all, supplications and prayers and intercession and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then if you go down further, you'll find that it gives certain instructions there about uh, verse 11. Let the women learn in silence with subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, not to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Then look at chapter 3, the first few verses. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desire for good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, etc. And then in chapter 4, first few verses. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to the seducing spirits, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidden to marry. And then uh, verse 5, verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the word of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things, having a promise of the life that is now is and that which is to come. And then in, in chapter 5, he said, Rebuke not an elder, entreat him as a father. He talked about how to treat elderly women and younger women, etc. And then in chapter 6, uh, he talks about the whole matter of uh, masters and servants. And he talks about the need to be careful. Uh, verse 11, But thou, man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith for the whole of eternal life etc. 
Right, my text is actually taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8. So I want you to look at those verses. But refuse profane and old wise fables. And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profit of little. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Having the promise of life that now is. And that which is to come. The key words that I'm looking at this morning in verse 7. Where Paul says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So the problem I'm saying to you is the problem of discipline. Is, it's, a, it's a monumental modern problem that people are faced with. Let me mention just three main areas of in discipline. In modern society, they just mentioned this. Let's, talk, let's take the area of morality for just a moment. One of the greatest crises facing our modern times is the crisis of morality. You know that? It seems that there is a universal lack of moral restraint. Could I say this way? Sex and pornography are the dominant vices of our time. The, the amount of sex you see, it is fueled by something called pornography. It's the gas that is being thrown on the fire. So we are living in a day where there seems to be no moral restraint. And there's a selfish passion called eros. Dressing up as something called agape. Going around and deceiving people saying I love you. Stalking the world. Eros claiming to be love. And people are falling for it right, left, and center. The indiscipline of our time is indicative of the immorality that is rampant in our society. If people can't control their most intimate part, which is their sex life, they can't control anything else. And I tell you, it's a real, real big problem. So we have a sex-saturated age, energized by the fuel of pornography, and it's eating up and killing our generation. When I was a boy, we used to sing a song. Where have all the young girls gone? You ever heard that song? Yes. Modern people can't sing that song anymore, you know. They now sing along another song. Where have all the virgins gone? That's, what they, that's the modern song. Things have changed so drastically. So drastically. And this lack of discipline is manifested in the rampant immorality that is destroying our generation. And there don't seem to be anybody to put brakes on it. Let me give you some statistics, by the way. And I, I, I feel sometimes for the Americans, I must tell you, because the only statistic we got is from America. These islands of ours, you can't get any statistics on morality, how much abortions are done, how many immoral people, how many... You can't get that. Where you get it from? So, but I'll tell you this. The trend in America is the trend in the Caribbean. America's culture has permeated the entire world. So the standard and whatever is happening there is happening here. Today, because of our lack of control in the area of morality, we now have 25 STDs. In my day, they only had two, syphilis and gonorrhea. They used to call it a clap. 
When a man had a clap, gonorrhea. That's what we used to call it, the clap. You ever heard that one? Yeah. Now you got 25. It moved from 2 to 25. In America, every year, 15 million Americans become infected with an STD. 15 every year. 15 million. One five. That's more than all the people in the Caribbean together. Every single year. Do you know that 65 million Americans, by the way, this is taken from the, uh, the disease control uh, statistics. 65 million Americans are now living with an infectious disease that's incurable. 65 million. Either HIV or herpes, genital herpes. 65 million of them. That's a staggering figure. But let me tell you something. If you take the statistical comparison, it's no different than in the Caribbean. We don't have 15, uh, 65 million people. But take the, the proportion is the same. I read in the papers the other day uh, that they have a thousand people in Antigua that had, uh, have uh, HIV from the time it started until now. 200 died and that leave 800. But I'm saying to myself, I counsel. And I know this. The average woman that comes to me for counsel before she married, she's been through three men. The average man that comes to you before he has been to five, five women. So multiply 800 by 3 and by 5, and that gives you the statistics. It's a serious problem. It's a horrific problem, but people can't seem to control their sexual desires. Do you know the most common STD today? It's something called HPV. It's called the human papilloma virus. The most common STD today. You think talk, people talk about AIDS and herpes and people's skin, but they don't talk about this one. Yet this virus is responsible for 90% of all the cervical cancers in women. 90% of cervical cancer. And I'm told that 50% of all people who are sexually active will have this disease. It's a much wider problem than people are thinking. By the way, you know how America is dealing with this HPV problem? How do you think they're dealing with it? They're taking 11-year-old and 12-year-old guys and vaccinating them. So that by the time they become sexual active, they won't get the disease. Now imagine that. I'm preparing your 11 and 12 to get sexual active. But you want to know the truth about HCDs? We can solve this STD problem in one generation. One generation, we can solve this problem. It would take a disciplined generation to get rid of all of these STDs. But who in here is optimistic? Anybody optimistic about that? And I'll tell you why you're not optimistic. Because you know yourself that you're not disciplined. So you can't expect the other young man to be disciplined, the young lady to be disciplined, because you are not disciplined. It's a mon- mon- monstrosity, a, a huge problem. So I'm talking about the need for exercising yourself this, unto godliness. But I'm looking at discipline from a wider perspective to, see, to you to see the real problem. By the way, if we can't discipline ourselves unto godliness, how is the world going to discipline itself unto morality? I just saw in the papers recently too, I, I cut it out. That in England, they're now warning the English people that gonorrhea is no longer going to be curable. 
Did you read that? There's no strain of gonorrhea. Uh, uh, and I understand the reason with the regimen of drugs that are supposed to deal with it, people were only given one, one particular. So what that has created, the, the virus has now mutated, as it were, and become much stronger. So what people used to call a cat now is going to death row. Can't deal with it. But ask yourself, how we got there? How we got to this position in life? How, how, how a society we should stay is because we don't have the discipline to, to control our sexual lives. Now we're paying an awful price. You know the saddest thing about all of this? Let me tell you what the saddest thing is all about this. That the adults can't tell the young people anything. Because they throw it back in your face. But what, what do you used to do? Their ungodly lives have now hindered them from ministering and mentoring the young generation. Listen, if anything is going to change, it's not going to change in society. It has to change in the church. The church is the last hope for society. And we must take the Christian faith seriously. And when Paul says to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, we must understand that that is our responsibility. As well. Let me mention another area where this indiscipline is seen in, modern, in our modern uh, times. Take the, word, the, the area of health for just a moment. What's the real big problem today that we're facing in the Western world? And certainly it's a big problem in the Caribbean. It is what I call the epidemic of diabetes. The epidemic of diabetes. But you know who are the ones who are, are, are inclined towards a, to, to, to be diabetic? It are people who, because of obesity and lack of exercise. Diabetes can be controlled by diet and exercise. You can bring it under control. But talk to any doctor and ask, why is the prevalence so common then if exercise uh, can bring uh, and diet can deal. Why can't people? You know what? I can't control their mouth. They know they're diabetic. They're inclined towards being diabetic, but they don't have the discipline to control what they eat. And today we have a crisis, a diabetic crisis, and the biggest hurdle medical doctors have in dealing with those people is that. The reason why it is such common path is because people lack self-control. They lack self-discipline. Now, here's our problem. If we can't discipline what we eat, how are we going to discipline ourselves to godliness? You tell me. You tell me. Because the things you eat, at least there's some substitutes. There are some substitutes. You don't have to eat certain things. There are things that you can eat, you can get things without sugar, whatever it is, but there are things that will make you make it taste reasonable. But you've got those, you can't discipline your mouth. How are you going to discipline yourself to godliness? You tell me. Do you know literally a diabetic is eating himself to death? And that problem can be solved. I saw sometime in America, they got uh, some of these people. You know what they go to the dentist and do? They have the dentist wire their teeth together. 
They can't control what they eat. I put a little straw. Now imagine that. A person made in the image of God, the highest creation of God. He can't even control what he eats. So you got to get his mouth wired and put a little straw. We have diminished the image of God. We have diminished manhood. Because of our lack of self-control. Or lack of discipline. So when you look at morality, you see the indiscipline problem. When you look at health issues, you see what? The indiscipline problem. But let me mention another one that you see the indiscipline. It's what I call government and the economy. Here's one area where there is a tremendous lack of discipline. Years and years of undisciplined spending has put our countries in a financial mess. And you know why? Politicians promise more than they can deliver. And they have the problem that they spend more than they can afford. And you know why? The people want more than they can give them. So the government is a dilemma. If I want to win your vote, I don't tell you, well, listen, for the next five years, I'm causing you for an austerity program, drawing your belt. We're going to put this country in a, in a line. We're going to pay off all the debts. We're going to solve this problem. But it's going to require five years for you to draw in your belt. People want to know, when is the next elections? When is the next elections? I heard Mr. Brown say that you're going to have to send up Social Security hit by 1% or something like that. Any more politicians anymore cussing the man? Or the worst thing that ever happened? But what are you going to do? Let the country go down the drain? Is that what you're going to do? There are, you have to deal with the problems. Unless government deal with the problem, it hands it off to another one and it gets worse and it gets worse until eventually everything collapses. Somebody got to bite the bullet and say, listen, this is what we need to do. But the problem is this. Antigua is so polarized that anything the Labour Party does, the UPP people cuss. Anything the UPP does, the Labour Party cuss. So the country is just headed down a path of sudden destruction. Unless somebody gets into power who says, listen, I'm going to be a one-term man. I'm going to fix this thing. End of story. But what politician you know want one term? So you've got the problem perpetuates itself. But again, let me tell you what the problem is. It is not really the politician. It's the people. The politician gives the people what they want. They vote who they want into power. And they don't want anybody to tell them this is a time calling for discipline. And proper management of the economy. And decent fiscal policy. They don't want that. They want to hear is... This is handout, that handout. We decrease this to decrease that. And we're laughing our way to the bank, not knowing that the coffers is bankrupt. We got fictitious money. It's called credit. So I'm saying to you that even when you look in the area of politics, not just in the area of morality, not only in the area of health, but when you look in the area of politics, monetary and fiscal policy, you find the indiscipline that is so rampant that almost every single country under the earth on the heaven side, is almost totally bankrupt. Oh, so much money. And you wonder, where did this insanity come from? 
And the truth of the matter is there's a complete lack of indiscipline in society and it trickles down into the politics, indiscipline. And so the question is, where are we headed? The answer is one thing, we're headed to a crash. And it's going to be so sudden that none of us will be prepared for it. Now I want to say to you that the church has not escaped the ravages of indiscipline. I saw some incredible statistics recently. A survey was done. Uh, and this is what was discovered out of the survey. That only 19% of believers read the Bible. 19% one nine. That's not even a quarter. Now, I think it's less than that. I really think. I think it's somewhere between 2 and 5%. It's that low. If I were to do a survey this morning and I were to ask you, don't put your name on it. I don't want your name. I don't know who you are. And I would have asked the questions, how many times you read the Bible per week or per month? And I gave you some time. Listen, and I would bring back the statistics in this pulpit. I will tell you, we would be shocked. We would be shocked. Because one of the things we'll discover is that people only open the Bible on Sunday morning when they come to church. They don't look at it after that. And you'll be surprised how many people that is symptomatic of. Just crept into the church. But I'll tell you one thing. When you first got saved, I know one thing about you. You felt guilty if you went to sleep without reading the word. Am I right or wrong about that? I think most of us say that. We felt guilty if we went to sleep and we didn't read the word. If we went through the whole day without reading the word, we felt guilty. Today, we don't even know what guilt is. Here's another statistic I discovered. That the average Christian prays five minutes per day. I think it's less than that. Less than that. There are a lot of Christians who don't pray morning, noon, or night. They just don't pray. They're not a praying people. Imagine that. Five minutes per day the average believer prays. But the damning statistic hit me. It says that the pastors only pray for seven minutes per day. Not much different, is it? Now you see the problem? You see the problem really is the church? If the church cannot discipline itself to, to read the word and pray, how in the world will we ever get godly? You, you tell me. How will you ever get godly if you don't read the word and pray regularly as a daily part of your life? Tell me how you will ever get godly. It's impossible. That is why we have so many little pushing Christians. We don't have any giants anymore. Because when you read the lives of the great men of God, you will find one thing about them. They had tremendous discipline in their own personal lives. So very, very, very shallow. In this regard. I like what Dr. J. Adams wrote in his book. Called the Christian Council's Manual. This is what he said. He said the word discipline. Has disappeared from our minds. From our mouths. From the pulpit. From our culture. He said we hardly know what discipline means. In the modern church. And then he adds. And yet. There is no other way. To godliness. 
than the pathway of discipline. So J. Adams said, we're in a dilemma. We don't even know what discipline is anymore, whether in our minds, in our mouths, in the pulpit, in our culture. But he asked the question, if that is so, and the only path to godliness is discipline, how will we ever become godly? I think I'm probably correct in saying that the greatest need of the modern church is a new era of godly discipline. But here's our dilemma. We want shortcuts. And whatever we want today, we want it instamatic. There's not a Christian sitting here this morning who isn't saying, I I desire to be more like God. I want more of God. I want to be more like Christ. I I want to be known as a godly person. The desire is there. No question about that. But it's the means of attaining that desire that is our problem. What we would like the pastor to say this morning, come down to the altar, everybody. I'm going to lay my hand on you. And I'm going to ask God to make you godly tomorrow. Poor everybody would come down the aisle. But I'm not a magic man. I don't claim to have any magic. My job is to expound the word, to preach the word. I can tell you what God said you must do. And God says if you really want godliness, you've got to discipline yourself. So I've got no magic thing here. And then what if I to say, you know, this morning we're going to have a, a, a prayer and I want everybody to join their hands in circles and I pray and dear God, make every person in this church a disciplined person. Boy, everybody be for that. But I will not delude you and I will not fool you. I've heard so many prayers sometimes. I said to myself, God must shake his head and say, boy, you know what you're doing? You, you're destroying my credibility. As a church, we need... Discipline. Now, in the next several Sunday mornings, I'll be dealing with this whole subject, talking about discipline in prayer, discipline in Bible study, discipline in fasting, uh, discipline in witnessing, um, discipline in, in suffering, those kind of topics I'll be dealing with. But, you know, I want to close this morning by giving you a simple test. And I want to give you a little test that you can answer, answer one question. The question you want to, I want you to answer this morning in your mind, don't put your hands up, is this. Do you lack self-discipline? And let me give you some very simple tests to, to let you come to that conclusion. Number one, if you answer these questions, uh, how you answer it will tell you if you, are, you lack self Number one, are you usually and always late for an appointment? Or for church services? Answer that question. Are you usually and normally late for church services or for appointments? If the answer is yes, I want to say to you, you have a self-discipline problem. Pastor, I didn't come to hear it, but you heard it. You heard it. I must tell you the truth. I must not delude you. See, I know you may not like Gaston Brown, or you might not like whatever, but let me ask you a question. If you had an appointment with him, and he says to you, uh, listen, I, I, have, I, I put aside everything for my schedule. I'll meet with you at 10 o'clock. Now, honestly, if the PM told you, look, I, I, I'm going to put this slot in for you, 10 o'clock. What would you do? I think the right-minded person who has no malice 
and a right thinking person would say, you know what? I can't hold up the PM. There's so many other things he could be doing. So many other people say, you know what? He said, so I will try to be there. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what, you'll get there before 10 o'clock. True or false? True. Well, when God tell you that he can meet with you at 9 o'clock in the morning in church, you don't believe it? So you can just treat God as though, yeah, you know, God, oh, I come, I feel like coming. If you're not there when I come, that's your business, it's not mine. That's the attitude we have. We are serious about nothing. But pastor, I got this to do. But if you got things to do, you still do whatever so that you can meet with the PM. Now I know what I just told you did one thing. It mashed your corn. But you didn't know you had that corn all the time? I just reminding you. But what I would suggest to you, if you know you got the corn, I'll deal with it. Get rid of the corn. See? But you know what will take it to get rid of the corn? The D word. Discipline. That means getting up a little bit earlier. Taking a shower a little bit earlier. Oh, you know what it might? It might mean taking a shower just before you go to bed. Whatever it takes to be with God on time. Be there. Look, I have said this before, and I don't want to song as though I'm repeating an old broken down record, but there's certain churches that certain people wouldn't come to. You know that? There's certain churches that you'll never find businessmen and uh, certain type person who is a time person. They never go to that church. Because they'll be the first there every time, and they're waiting for believers to come. They say, oh, okay, this isn't serious. If we want to change the ambience of the church, the atmosphere of the church, we've got to operate differently. We've got to be more serious and people can see it. But everything is so laid back, so lackadaisical. We're like molasses running up a hill. It's a terrible thing. But let me show you something. Somebody, you set up a time to see somebody, they don't come. Man, you're mad as hell. Mad! Let me not say anymore. Okay. Number two. Not only are you usually always late for an appointment or church meeting. If the answer is yes, you have a discipline problem. You have a, 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 a self-discipline. Number two. Are you not married? And are you sexually active? You have a problem. A serious problem. The pastor, I can't control my... I know that's your problem, sir. So if the answer to those two questions, yeah, you have a problem. You lack discipline. And listen to me. I want to say this. If you can't control those two simple areas of your life, you can never be a godly person. Because you don't have the discipline to control those two things. How do you get godly? Rubbing your shoulders by somebody else? Number three, when you get frustrated and upset, do you let that stop you from fulfilling your duties? If the answer to that question is yes, I want you have a problem. Have a serious problem. By the way, if a pastor were to do that, you'll see him very few Sundays. I'm telling you. You'll see him very few Sundays. 
But whether you're frustrated or not, you have a responsibility to God and the church and the people of God. And listen to me, you have to be there whether you feel like or not. But that's the difference between a man who operates on his feelings. Well, I, I, I feel too good today, so I'll let the people stay down there and I'll call them while that church say, Hey, I'm sick. I'm tired, whatever it is. You can't do that. See? But a person who is not disciplined is a person who allows the problems and the frustrations that they face in life set him back to the point where he decides he ain't doing nothing. That is not a disciplined person. Number four, do you oversleep? No, we all need about eight hours rest. Right? Uh, by the way, I am not the person who believes that you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning to pray. I don't believe that you can set any time schedule where to pray. You have to find your own schedule in this matter. I told you this, I am a night person. My wife is a morning person. I hardly ever get to bed before 2 a.m. in the morning. Hardly ever get to bed before that. But if I get about four o'clock, I can't function. Because it's only what? That's only two hours. If I get six, that's only four hours. See? So I got to know what fits into my schedule. But what I'm saying to you here as a person, you, you, if you find yourself that you're just oversleeping, 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 can't do, you have a problem. Serious problem. Let me have another question. Do you spend money you don't have? Plastic money is called a credit card. Tremendous debt. You find yourself in 20% sometimes the interest is there. And these people are so smart that by the time they send you the, the statement of what you've done, it is too late now to pay it before, so they put on a charge on you. I went in there the other day and told the lady, I said, next thing this happened, cut my card up. I can't believe you're sending me this statement so late. And by the time I get the statement, I get the statement, I go into the bank, they're telling me it's too late. I said, but you, you, you people are crooks. You're deliberately sending the, the, the statement too late so that you can charge me. So don't let it happen again. Don't let it happen again. Right? So I decided I'm going to get a debit card instead of a credit card. Right? But you know what? It's easy to get a credit card than a debit card, you know. I never applied for a credit card. They sent me one. <laughs> no, I want a debit card. I got in there. I got to go wait a few hours and wait in line. And I'm saying, man, it frustrates me. Why you don't send me one in the mail? They know what they're doing, man. Believe you, they're smart. But are you spending more than you have? If you are, you have a serious problem. It is called indiscipline. It'll bankrupt you. What you need is a shears. You know what a shears is? A scissors. You don't know what a scissors is? You need a cutlass. You don't want a cutlass? You need a hammer. You don't want? You need a sledge. But if it is causing you to overspend and overspend, you have a serious problem. And here's another one. Do you neglect on a regular basis to read the Bible and to pray? If the answer to that question is yes, you have a disciplinary problem. Real disciplinary problem. I'd like to read what Pastor Donald Witness said here. And this is what he said. He said, I've never known of a man or a woman who came to spiritual maturity without 
self-discipline. Never known of any. And by the way, do you notice that Paul is saying to Timothy, it is your responsibility? Here is Paul, the senior pastor. And he is writing to Timothy and saying, Timothy, it is your responsibility to gymnasio. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I can't do it for you, Timothy. As a senior man in the ministry, I can't do it for you. You need to discipline yourself unto godliness. It's your responsibility. And I want to close with one other thing this morning. There's a book. I went online. It is called the story. Uh, it is called the outliers. O-U-T-L-I-E-R-S. First time I saw that, I, I was saying, wait a minute, there's such a word? And I actually went into the dictionary to find the word. I can't find the word. So I thought it was a bogus thing. So I Google it. And uh, the, the author is a man called Malcolm Cadwell. If you belong to e-books, there, you can read chapters in it before you decide to buy it. Um, but what he did, he looked into the lives of many successful people. And the one thing he wanted to find, what was the secret of their success? I think everybody wants to know that. What's the secret of their success? And one characteristic stood out. And he has a chapter, and the title of that chapter is this. The thousand hour rule. Sorry, the ten thousand hour rule. That's the name of the chapter. You know what he discovered? That whether he examined the life of a successful golfer, or hockey player, or the life of a successful musician, or a computer programmer. You know what he discovered? That without exception, all of those who are at the top, of their discipline have put in at least 10,000 hours of practice. So he got the chapter called the 10,000 hour rule. And this is what he said in his, in his book on page 39. He says, people at the very top don't, walk, don't work just harder or even much harder than anyone else. He said work much, much, much harder. <laughs> the point is. Those that are at the top are there. Not because they were handed a silver spoon. But because that they have exercised. Discipline hours. 10,000 hours of practice. Whatever they're doing. To achieve greatness. And get to the top. The answer is this. The, what was the secret of all this? The word is the D word. Discipline. 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 See. I'm going to stop here this morning. And uh, as I told you, it's just the introduction to the series. But I hope you see where we're headed. That if we're going to have a transforming change in our church. I know what people say, Pastor, you need the spirit. Other people say the church needs to pray more. Other people say we need to come up more, whatever. But let me just tell you this. If we are going to change, it's because of that D word. That we exercise ourselves unto godliness. See? A church don't become a praying church because we say, let's get together and pray. You know? A church become a praying church when the individual yes, yes. in the church becomes a praying person. Yes. See? 
When the individual in the church becomes a reader and student of the Bible. When the individual in the church fasts by themselves. That's when you get a transforming world. You see, we, we like masses. We like crowds. We like to say, well, we, we had this big thing. But it's just for the moment, just for the four days, the five days, the six days, that's all. Then people go back to normal. Paul is not calling for that. Paul is saying to Timothy, you, Timothy, individually, Timothy, are responsible, Timothy, to discipline yourself, Timothy, for the purpose of godliness. And I'm saying to you, that's what we need. And that's what we must pursue. And I'm hoping in the next several messages to help you to to move in that direction. And I hope you'll stick with me, pray for me. And uh, come back and listen to what God has to say to you in this respect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of those who sat here and listened. We trust we've said enough to whet their appetite for a desire to know more in this matter. The people who are struggling, they want to know, well, how, how do I develop a prayer life? How do I develop, study the Bible? What can I do? Never fasted, how do I go about that? Uh, Lord, there's so many other issues. How do I meditate? What does meditation mean? Read it in the Bible. What does it mean? Lord, I just pray that in the process of the sermons and the next several that will come on Sunday mornings, that we may systematically deal with these issues. Uh, it's one thing to rebuke people. It's another thing to help them. And I pray you help me to be able to help believers. And that as we move on to this year, that form of discipline will become manifest in our church. Because there's no way that we can become a people of prayer and a people reading the word, a people who meditate on God's word, a people who fast as the Lord would lead. There's no way that a church like that will not become an effective, powerful church. So our concern is not just for our individual welfare. Our concern is for the glory of your house and also for the power of your church as a witness and a testimony in a community where we've been planted to have an effective ministry. Help us. We all need your help and give us the grace uh, to be willing and able to put in the necessary discipline that will make us more godly. Oh Lord, give us a thirst for righteousness. Give us a desire for holiness. Help us not to be content to be living in the shallows, but help us to move out into the deep. Father, have your way in our service. Have your way in this church, in this ministry. Speak to your people through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us in greater detail how indiscipline has spilled into the church. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.